Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Ian. Well, that makes a change, doesn't it? We won't uh, discuss the <laughs> first pass that we made at this intro. Maybe it'll see the light of day someday. As a On goof. Patreon, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's incentives to join Patreon is to hear that. <laughs> it really would be worth the month's fee. How so, are you? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, certain things happen in the course of us doing this podcast, and some of them are just surreally cool. And uh, one of them is that Johnny Colt is a friend of ours now, and I think that's a fantastic thing. And normally at this scheduled time, we you would have been hearing our interview with Smiling Jay McDowell, which is coming up next time. But we did get the call from Mr. Johnny Colt to come on and, and discuss a few things. Isn't that right, David? Yeah, when Johnny calls, you answer. That's right. Yeah, so he wanted to come on here, talk about a few things. You know, Obviously, if you listen to this, you're going to listen to the interview and hear them all. But uh, it was good to hear from him. I haven't heard from him in a long time. He's very active down in New Orleans with his art studio. And you will hear, we'll tease it. There's some music tidbits coming to you in this podcast. Oh, yes, definitely. And some, some great information he wanted to uh, share with all of you. He's full of ideas as always, and they sound like they're going to be great. I love the fact that he's getting back in the Crows world. Yeah, because Johnny has a very interesting tale to tell. Many tales to tell, really. I just think it's fascinating because you didn't hear from him for so long. He's got some amazing stories. Maybe one day we can have him on here, story time with Johnny or whatever. He said he wanted to do something maybe three or four times a year where he comes on and like, what's up, Johnny, or something like that. He's a fun person to talk to. He is. He is. He's uh, he's a, one of the great storytellers I've ever spoken with, and it's a, it's a pure pleasure to have him on here. And I didn't think when we first started doing this podcast that we would be the forum that Johnny Colt would choose to reintroduce himself into the uh, Black Crows community. He tells you why he comes on here. Um, it's because of David's boyish good looks is what it is. In addition to that, Ian. Oh, in addition okay, to that. I'm sorry. But hey, we want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. That is correct. Yes, we hope you enjoy uh, some time with your family and friends, however you spend it, but uh, make it a good one. Lots of football, lots of dressing, lots of uh, sweet potato pie. David, did you really just... It's, it's, Thanksgiving to you is football, dressing, and sweet potato pie. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, you know, you got to narrow it down to the essentials, man, you know. Look, Thanksgiving's a great holiday because you eat, and it's it's socially acceptable to eat gluttonous amounts and you watch football spoken like a pig american right <laughs> that's right i mean my rebels are playing thanksgiving night on espn i mean come on ian <laughs> it is the only holiday that it's uh socially acceptable to uh loosen your pants after the meal <laughs> yeah. or fall into a deep nap from the uh the chemicals in the turkey are you, what are you gonna do are you cooking anything no, uh, I am spending the time with some of my wife's family, and uh, I kind of just sit back and uh, take it all in. 
if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I smoked a uh, turkey a couple of weeks ago and think I'm going to smoke a, smoke a turkey for my in-laws. It must be really hard to light a turkey. It must take a long time. <laughs> I'll be here all week, folks. That's what I have to say. That's pretty bad. No, but seriously, we're very thankful to everybody that listens to this podcast and supports us. Uh, we've got a really cool thing going here, a great community that we're a part of. And uh, we could not do that without all of you that listen to us. So seriously, we're very thankful for you. Yes. And also very thankful to those who have decided to join us on the Patreon. If anybody's interested in doing that, it really is a cool platform. We try to push a lot of bonus content onto there. And uh, if you want to check that out, patreon.com slash state of America, and you can see uh, what we got going on. And boy, are we giving away a big Christmas present on there. Michael Lewis is going to paint a custom piece of art for one of our listeners and uh ian and i have something similar he's a great artist and uh it's going to be black crows related and we're going to give that away to uh one of our patrons yeah very much looking forward to that and uh in addition to all the bonus content on the patreon david and i have discussed uh pumping some more bonus content into the main platform and we're going to be busy over the next couple of weeks months oh yeah we're going to drop our uh album club bonus episodes every month or so uh, we're getting together with a group of people that well, most of them have been on here once before and we're going to talk about a different album and a different person gets to p- pick it each time so that's coming up the smiling jay mcdowell episode is coming up we'll go ahead and tease it lala slopeman's going to make a return in december that's right. and we have a really cool angle i guess you could say for that one uh, that ian came up with and then uh, Ian and I are going to do an episode, just the two of us, old school style, talk about some more of our favorite Black Crows covers. So, yeah, so a lot of stuff to look forward to. And uh, we hope you uh, all join us for the ride. But what do you say we jump over to the main attraction, David, and, and get to this fantastic conversation we have with Mr. Johnny Colt? Yeah, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to hear about Ed. You're going to hear about the Ed book. You're going to hear about a future Crows book. You're going to hear uh, about Ed's uh, memorial. So, Uh, Thank you so much, Johnny, for reaching out to us. He knows he's always welcome. That's right. So we hope you enjoy the interview and we'll see you next time, everybody. Well, back with us for round two is uh, our buddy, Johnny Colt. Johnny, I see you've been working out a lot on Instagram. Is that to counteract the effects of that great food down there? Uh, yes, sir. Listen, uh, <laughs> not only is New Orleans food amazing, but, uh, you know, it's low cost. And uh, those two things put together are dangerous. Uh, you, <laughs> you couple that with uh, getting past your 50th year, you've got to keep your show together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So have you invented like your own form of CrossFit? We had somebody, uh, I was telling somebody we were going to interview and they were like, he's really been working out a lot lately on Instagram. Is that like his own version of CrossFit? I spent 
you know, most of my adult life, uh, I've trained in one form or another. I spent years uh, training in a sport called Muay Thai, which is basically it's it's a it's the national sport of Thailand, but it's kickboxing essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and CrossFit was part of it. I t- I studied yoga for many years. I taught for years. Physical expression and not just fitness, not just you know I want to look good and all that stuff, but the expression, the creative aspect of it. Uh, and movement has always been real important to me uh, on every level of my health, but also creatively. I, you know, I'm a believer that uh, creative people, you're creative because it's how you approach things. It's not what you do. Just because I paint doesn't make me a creative. That makes me someone who paints. A real creative is coming at everything with the same kind of mindset. So that sounds kind of pretentious, really. But, but that's the idea. Like, that's what you're trying for anyways. Right. I've always felt all that time in hotel rooms and stuff, I needed to move. I'm a, a kind of a high strung guy and a lot of energy. So, and you know, you wanted to drive towards something. So even though vanity is part of my life, it's always been more about sports and expressionism until the pandemic. And two things during the pandemic, I was teaching school. So teaching kids during a pandemic was all consuming. It was a 10 hours a day in a mask. And I was really out of my depth with teaching and I was having to take classes at night. And once I discovered drawing and, and, and the way I discovered art for myself, visual art, it solved so many of my mental health issues and my, my stress and my tensions. Uh, it just did a better job than anything I've ever experienced before, including music. So before I knew it for the first time in my adult life, I got kind of behind the curve and, and what I would consider just kind of out of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of liberated at first and I felt like uh, I'm less in my ego and, you know, kind of that kind of, you know, like talking myself, like I'm good with this, you know? And then I had a couple of experiences where I felt I didn't feel strong. Like there were physical moments where I did something and I wasn't the same as I had been before, you know, whether it's age, not you know, everything it's, a, it's, it's holistic. Right. Mm-hmm. But I climbed a ship's ladder. And something about climbing that ladder, I used to climb four and five pitch rock climb. Somewhere along just climbing a ship's ladder, it was disorienting. And I was like, wow, this must be what what age feels like. It's hard to articulate the feeling. I wasn't necessarily afraid, but I didn't felt weird. My nervous system, I didn't feel in sync. I didn't feel rhythmic. I didn't feel connected. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, I think that saying use it or lose it is probably as true as they say it is. And that's all I needed to go, okay, I got to go back, not only claim my strength, but I also feel that, uh, and I'm giving you a very long-winded answer, but I feel there's a huge connection between, for me, my mental my mental health and my physical health are, are completely connected. And, and um, I've been going through quite a bit the last couple of years and it was just time for me to sort of reclaim that part of me because I need more strength. I'm I'm in a bit of an endurance race in my personal life here with some challenges. And uh, I feel like I'm an ultra marathon and I really needed some gas. So I had to get back into it. And, um, and New Orleans is, is beautiful and filthy and industrial where I live and I love it. So I did what you do. Uh, you know, what did Rocky do in the movie where he fought the Russian? Like he goes back to his roots. Yeah. He's I didn't there. go to gym or any of that nonsense. I grabbed a set of chains and my weighted vest and I went straight to a truck yard and uh, New Orleans, especially where I live near the industrial canal, the bywater is pretty lawless. So 
Nobody seems to care that I am um, <laughs> just using their, you know, like I'm just like I'm on the train yard. I'm using train items, tools that belong to the train guys. They don't care as long as I put them back. Uh, they just seem to think it's pretty funny. So uh, I got a strange, awesome, isolated kind of training program going. And it's I can't recommend it enough. And I'm hoping somebody out there is going to venture out and go, well, that's weird enough for me to just give that shit a try. So. <laughs> uh, Johnny, I actually, something you just said before I wanted to circle back around to, you were talking about how doing creative things helped you with your mental health. Do you, do you find that there's a correlation between easing mental health concerns and having a creative outlet? Abs- for, well, for me, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, there's plenty of studies and we don't have to get into all that. I, Guys, bear with me. I don't, you know, not being out in front of people these days. I haven't done an interview since the last time I talked to you guys. I forgot how to answer in sound bites. I just, <laughs> my skills aren't there. I'm just like running at the mouth. Um, That's all right, man. But to answer that, um, I did believe that. But where I really, I knew it helped me, but where it became crystal clear was once I started drawing, and I mean, pen on paper. I use digital tools I, I, and I enjoy them, but they're not quite as effective. Scratching, mark making just was the right thing at the right time. And now if I have to pay attention to something that's critical, uh, it's a little late in light to learn this, but if I'm drawing while you're talking to me, I can retain everything you say. I have solid recall. I didn't know that about myself. Had someone taught me that when I was young, I could have done so much better at school. I don't know that it would have, you know, worked exactly the same way then. I can only talk about now, but now I, I, I these tools are incredible, and my anxieties and these are all things we all have. I'm just far enough along along in life to not care about saying them or admitting that I have them, or I just don't care what you think about it. More times than not, most people go, "Yeah, me too," you know. Right. And in a world where we have so much input. So much data coming across our eyeballs. It's just it's just loud all the time. And uh, drawing has become incredible for me. So music helps, exercise helps. But that particular item helps me more than any other one. And again, it's I don't feel like I have a ton of regrets, but I would love to have realized this a little earlier in life. So if you have anxieties or depressions or issues, just keep trying new shit. Because you never know what's around the corner. Mm, I agree. Well, Johnny, you reached out to me the other day and and wanted to come on. And and one of the the reasons you wanted to come on is we just passed the, uh, I believe it was the sixth anniversary of the passing of uh, Ed Harsh. It's hard to believe it's it's been that long. And um, on that day, you know, a lot of people sent us stuff and tagged us and stuff, you know, and and people remembering him. And uh, it's hard to believe it's six years he left this earth. Yeah, you know, it absolutely snuck up on me, uh, even if, even having spent so much time working on the book for Eddie. Yeah, it just I kind of looked up and it was like, oh, my God. And um, or I would have because I, I, I wanted to reach out on the anniversary. Had I been on top of my game, I would have called you before the anniversary. We could have spoken then. But um, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, there's a couple of things I'd like to do if I could not to mm-hmm. take control here. But one I just want to thank everyone uh, who purchased the book, the Eddie book, postcards from the Eddie, from the edge. Uh, 
you guys have supported me so much podcast, you two specifically, and everyone who helped work on this project. There's a lot of people that were really uh, so supportive and really helped drive this along. And essentially, of course, the people who actually put the quotes in the book, I mean, that's just so much better hearing from them than me telling you my one perspective of Eddie. The second thing I want to say is, if I may, is take a minute and uh, make an amends. I'd like to apologize uh, to a number of people but and, and take ownership of this and, and open platform. We experienced a number of problems on my end executing the book. These are not excuses. I take responsibility for any hiccups in the process. I've never done the process before. Mm. And I really didn't want to do a publishing deal. Not that I, I don't know that we would have gotten one for Ed because guys like Eddie and I, we're not Chris Robinson. We have a certain level of exposure, but it's not the same thing. But I also just didn't want anyone telling me, I didn't want to deal with the, hey, that's great, but put another picture of Chris in there. You know, like, right. didn't want that to happen. So I did it on my own. Well, there's good parts and bad parts. And the bad parts are it's a chain of process from creating the book to executing it. So because of the pandemic, the shipping was way behind. I mean, we run into problems we never saw coming. So unfortunately, I learned a lot on a lot of people's patience and they're done. And I appreciate it very much. Some things fell through the cracks. I've had to move studios uh, mostly because of some personal issues. Uh, I've moved studios four times in the last year. Wow. And only one of those was my choice. So again, these aren't excuses, but it did hold the project up. Mm. So for that, anyone who got left behind didn't feel like things went fast enough for them. Um, uh, let me apologize and say that uh, what's most important is we learned a lot from those things. And as we move forward with the next project, which I'm looking forward to talking about in a minute, we will be striving to perform 100% better. And it's about it's progress, not perfection. And I'm not going to say it's going to be smooth sailing the next time around. But what you can know is it's one guy trying to get it all done. Gotcha. I will try to put better pieces in place. Um, but I do appreciate everybody's patience. And it was a project of, of real love. And I'm really happy we did it. Now, if I may, before talking about what's coming up next, let me say this about Eddie. Eddie's tombstone. We all talked about that a lot. Let me just give you an update on that. Very interesting process. I think, you know, for us who love Eddie, it seemed really simple. I mean, how much more simple could it get? Like, hey, we want to honor the guy. And um, I'm not really concerned about the money. We'll figure that out. I, and can we just do this? Well, it's, it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> um, the part that was surprising to me was, you know, Eddie's family. Clearly, they love Eddie but they also like their privacy and they're not from our culture. They're from a whole different lifestyle. Eddie's in a conservative cemetery and speaking to the family only went so far before it felt to me like I might be trespassing on someone's respect mm. and that Eddie's mother at her age, she didn't need it. You know, she didn't need us to tell her that her son was spectacular and that all these people, you know, he affected their lives. She knew. And I had to eventually just step off that process altogether. So then we pivoted over to the idea of trying to work on something for Detroit, some way to get Eddie, some kind of monument, some, well, here's what's interesting about that process. 
One, it's bureaucratic in nature. So you got to be patient. But again, you know, no matter how important Eddie is to me and you guys, and again, it's, it's Eddie and myself have a certain status in life. And uh, it's not necessarily, you know, we're not Fats Domino. Down the street from me is Fats Domino Avenue. Right. His old street named after him because he's Fats Domino. I mean, you know, Eddie's <laughs> awesome, but he's Eddie. You know what I mean? I'm Johnny. It's just like, it's not, you don't say our name and people go, oh yeah. You know, so it's a little bit more of a challenge. And uh, Detroit is a very dynamic and very interesting city. It's a very uneven city. It's not like Atlanta administratively, the way I've dealt with Atlanta and the land business. But I will say that living in New Orleans is getting me much more in tune with what I think is happening in Detroit as far as, you know, there's a Southern Northern thing, but still just the, these are cities that have real challenges and they work in a very different way. Having said that, there's some really great fans like Alex in Detroit who have all pulled together and are kind of standing by ready to help. Everyone at this point is waiting to hear from me. And that's where we are. We don't have a financial problem. We have a relation in my, this is my, my perception of the issue is we have a relationship problem in the sense that we need the right people in Detroit to help us connect whatever dots we can to find out if this is even possible. I still don't really have the facts on what is or what isn't possible. We can buy a piece of land and put a monument to Eddie, but the Cass Corridor ain't the Cass Corridor we all know anymore. It's completely gentrified. So when you start talking about buying property, it's not just the cost of the property. It's that that's an area where if you don't keep your lots up where they belong, people are going to have a problem with that. Right. The tax basis is rising. This becomes a real investment. Again, doesn't mean it's not doable. It's just going to take a lot more work and it's going to take some real on the ground time in Detroit, I think, for me to be there in person, which has been impossible with what's been going on in my personal life this year. I am hoping to be able to tackle that uh, in the first quarter of next year. Not that I'm excited to go to Detroit in January, February. <laughs> Maybe we could push that to March or April. <laughs> so what is kind of your vision of it? Is it going to be like a, just like a, like a granite memorial or. I have no, I have no expectations or no dog in that particular fight. I would like to be able, first, I want to know what's possible. And what the parameters are, right? What's the window? What can we do? What can't we do? Inside that, I would like a group of us to work together to figure out what's the best and highest representation of Eddie at the time. I, I, don't, I don't have anything more than this just feels good to do and to think about and to talk about. I I do consider myself a man of action. I would like to, I'm not just here to talk about it. I'd like us to be able to consolidate this into something tangible. Again, I don't know what that means, but if you'll allow me, I'll tell you what I am going to do. Okay. I'm going to take a road trip to Detroit from New Orleans. Along the way, I'm planning to visit any and every, within reason, pro fans who want to connect. You'll come within a mile of my house. <laughs> well, I'm coming to your, I, listen, I got to stay at your actual house. Yeah. So I gotta, yeah. You're already in. You don't know. You've been drafted. Uh, 
hopefully some people would like to um, uh, would like to host me. I'd spend some time with people, sharing stories, talking about the band, talking privately, talking about it, non-recorded areas. Yes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying in privacy, where I can really talk and share, and we can do something genuinely meaningful. I would like to spend some time with some people, maybe collect some pictures with people, and make my way out to Detroit and sit down with Alex who's there and, and and any representative I can get and just eyes on the ground and start trying to piece this thing together. I think that's the, A, getting there is the smartest thing to do, but I want to do this tour and I've been thinking about it for a while and I've really uh, been spending a lot of time studying my stoicism and the entire sort of memento mori concept We've all heard it a thousand times, but life is short. I've been thinking a lot about what I'm going to do next musically. And before I'm ready to move on, I want to make sure that I'm operating from my best and sort of value compass, you know? And Mm -hmm. what is the greatest gift of this whole thing is not um, a table at a restaurant or, hey, I played the garden. It's um, relationships like the one I've developed with you guys and the fact that I love people. Music's introduced me to people all over the world. Those are the things that matter. And the idea that anyone cares about anything I was part of on any level this far into the game is just a remarkable gift. And I want to talk to people eye to eye. That's more important to me than picking my instrument back up. The human component's the most important thing. And away from the bullshit. Right. I mean, the thing with the First Daddy books, like they say, if you don't take the check, they can't tell you what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I don't, rock and roll to me is about not being told what to do. And I'm not playing in that game anymore, right? I'm just not doing it. So for me, going on tour now is less about playing music and more, not this whole thing is less about playing and more about connecting with people. And then hopefully, I don't know, hopefully just we'll see. Life will do what it does. But maybe after I get out and and can feel this kind of connection with people, maybe the value of walking on stage will come back to me, or maybe it won't. And by the way, that'll be fine too. Do you, do you find, cause I know when we first started the podcast, I had messaged you about coming on and it seemed like you wanted to stay out of the crow world, which is fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't bug you anymore after that, but do you find that since the, um, the pandemic hit and you've kind of dipped your toe back into that world to me, kind of the, the, the time I was around you and, and us interacting at times, it seems like, you're kind of not overwhelmed, but like, wow, people really cared about me and my contribution to the band. I think it's a combination of two things at once, realizing how many people are out there. I've been so busy leading my life, trying to meet my goals, trying to get my career together, raise my children, pay my bills. I'm not out there thinking about any legacy material or what that means. I, I don't Legacy, again, sounds slightly pretentious. I don't know what to call it. Just you know, that life is still, there's that, that machine, that animal is still up breathing and beating. I think legacy's fair. You guys sold a ton of records. <laughs> it's also a, a life that seems for me, part of what stands out is that I didn't realize there was such a life that stands apart from what the crows do now. That's not said in any disrespectful way towards what they do. That's not mine. That's I'm not part of that. Uh, and I, I don't relate to it, but the fact that, you know, my era of the Crows is the area that's as significant as it is, is astounding to me. And um, 
it confirms my for myself my own importance in that area. I don't think it's I don't think I have a more important uh, I don't have an inflated idea of my value, but I'm comfortable owning my value in that mix. And that wasn't always easy to do. Uh, that ended painfully. Well, it was painful during it. I mean, it it, it was hard. Uh, it was beautiful and great, and it was really difficult, and it was and it was pretty awful for a while. Um, and it was so ugly at the end that it's been hard for me to own the good part. Right. Uh, and eventually, I would have to get to a place where I was actually given permission to be able to accept and own the good part without feeling like I'm endorsing the bad part. See, it's okay for me. This took me some, I needed some help here because I could be very dense. It, <laughs> as a person who, who you know, my, just not only just my sobriety, but the way that I try to live is almost in a, a lot of direct opposition to things the band has done and, st- and stood for. So it's hard for me to take ownership of my part, but also be the person I am now. And, and the idea that those two things could stand side by side, that didn't occur to me. I'm an either or guy. I don't really, you know what I mean? I'm not, there's no middle ground. I'm an extremist. And it's just hard for me to see that those two things can live side by side. So it's taken me a long time to get there. But so there's that piece. The other part of this is pandemic. My kids had grown up. I was teaching school. I had gone through some very difficult personal, intrapersonal stuff and come out the other side, a different person into the pandemic. Um, We'd gone through the thing where we raised a lot of money to feed people during the pandemic with my artwork. And I just felt like a new person in a new world and everything around me looked different. And if I didn't start getting things out of the pandemic, I just got to get things out of things or I just feel like I'm being passive and I'm not comfortable being passive that way. Right. I mean, I needed the chaos to turn into something. I think that's what you do as a creative person. So being able to delve back into the crows in a way that made me comfortable, which was mostly without a guitar in my hand. That was another thing. Just laying my instrument down is, I don't think people understand. Like, it doesn't matter how much you love something. It's a crutch. You know, you can start getting into some really heavy shit. But the idea that I can stop my attachment, even to my instrument, even to music, that's personal freedom. There, That becomes real power. Mm. I'll play when I, when, it's time for me to play and not a fucking minute before because I'm okay without it. It doesn't own me. I own it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm driving only because I'm not actually driving. That's the oxymoron. I'm driving. You know, no, I'm not. It's maybe it's the other way around. I'm listening. It's not passive. I'm just ready when called upon to make the move. So for me, the move is people, creativity first, human connection. What do you want to do with the rest of the days you have alive? I don't want to chew on the same bone my whole life. I don't want to walk on stage and play the fucking same song every night. I just don't want to do that. Now, if I do it, I sign on because that song matters to you. I'm not there for me at that point. It's not about me. If it's about me, I don't want to do the same song every night. So if I'm going to go out and play with someone like in Skinner, I'm of service. And that's where I really learned that part. And it was real clear to me. You play Simple Man, song I love, but doesn't matter what mood you're in, you get your shit together. It's Simple Man. <laughs> it changes people's lives. Doesn't matter what mood I'm in that night or what pissy things going on between band members. Uh-uh. That shit's transcendental. And the thing is, 
the Crows material, I grew up with Skinner. So it's easy for me to identify with why that song is so important to people. And in reverse, I learned a lot of lessons about the Crows material. And if I were to go on stage and ever play a song with the Crows, you can bet your ass it's not about me. She Talks to Angels or whatever song you would choose. Uh, my job is to perform that for you because I'm there to be of service. That's a totally different approach than how we started this, what we did in the early days. And a lot of what you've heard Chris say in interviews, certainly back in the day. And I'm not saying that that's his opinion today. I don't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah, because I can sit here right now with a guitar in my hands and play everything I want for me. But if I want to play everything I want for me, but I want you to sit there and listen to it, that's my ego. That's not a communion. Right. That's a lot. But uh, when you paint all day and all night, and you, you sleep four and five hours a night, and you're, and you're not wasted you're sober all the fucking time you think a lot there's a lot you know there's a lot going on you know what i mean i got a lot of hours of shit you know what i mean i just been there painting by myself eight ten hours a day it's a lot there's a lot of shit going on up here you recently have posted several pictures of your bases is that an itch you think you may need to scratch here soon or yeah no no it's um it's interesting what uh what happened with that was in the midst of, of, again, a lot of personal, significant personal change, I um, I moved to New Orleans and then I ended up getting a different, another place in New Orleans. And this one is, uh, I have a 2,800 square foot A-frame, steel-framed studio barn, three room. I mean, all my printers, all the painting, all the gym, the, 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 it's what I've been waiting for my whole life, but there's an entire space specifically for a studio. And I've always had those kind of facilities when I owned Avatar Events Group. I would put my studio stuff up for other people to play with and share. And we made money off it. We turned it into a business. We employed people. It was a different attitude. Now I'm just sitting on top of space. So I had never consolidated all my belongings before. I just never done any of that. Like all the Chrome, what memorabilia I do have. And, you know, it's just never been in one place. Um, and that's what's happening now. And no sooner did even just this is how it works in my life. Energetically, I go, I'm like, OK, I'm going to go get the instruments and we're going to move them all and consolidate them. I open like the first case and I swear to God, I have to open the case. This particular case hadn't been open probably in 10 years. And even one of them Skinner was like six years old now or something, seven years. I was like. Popped open a case, and I swear to God, two hours later, I got a phone call and a mutual friend who used to be in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers mm. called mm-hmm. me about another artist who I'm not going to name. She's huge, but it was just like, I no, I can't do that right now. But I thought it was really remarkable that it, it, it felt like a, a it's convergence, <laughs> it's convergence, but it felt more like a um, what's the Harrison Ford movies where he's. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I opened the case. It was like, no, shut it. No, no. Like a skull flew out. It's like, you're going on tour. And it's just like, um, but again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what that means right now. And that's okay. It's all good. Uh, but the answer is yes. I will tell you what's happening musically is I've met a lot of great artists here in New Orleans. And it's a little hard not to want to play when I can walk down the street and any horn player on any given night plays circles around all the Black Crows members, including myself, combined. 
<laughs> you understand what I'm telling you? There are guys with the scrubs here have got chops. It's intimidating in a mm-hmm. great way. So I've been listening to tons and tons of music. So there's no way that that's not going to eventually penetrate. You know, it's just a question of what you're going to do with that. So I've developed a number of bands, band names that I think are really awesome and funny, and then put concepts behind them. So one of them, uh, we'll we'll let it be a surprise, but one of them, we're going into a rehearsal. Again, it's very weird, but an experimental, but we'll be doing some music. And then we'll start in the next couple of weeks. Very cool. That's fascinating. I'm excited about it. But again, it's not something that, uh, it's nothing a Crows fan's going to be, you know, you're not going to be waiting by the, by the, by the iPod or the man iPod. What year is this? You know, you're not <laughs> waiting on, you know, you're not your Spotify. I meant Spotify, but I said, iPod. you're not going to be waiting at Spotify for these tracks, but, um, but you might find them somewhat entertaining. But uh, I will say this, this is all I'm going to say. We are an alternative orchestra pit to movies. Interesting. So, to come to a show is a certain film we'll play. And then you'll be provided with a new soundtrack along with the dialogue. That's great. Yeah, that's original. It's going to be fucked up is what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. I expect a lot of car crashes. but you know, who knows? <laughs> See, but that's that's really the exciting thing, I think, about people doing things musically is it could take off or it could crash and burn. And that's the excitement of being involved in it. When you play yeah, it too I, safe, it kind of loses that edge. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the thing about, you know, again, like when you're going to play the same stuff over and over again, nothing wrong with it, but it has to really be about the audience, not about you. Mm. If you want it to be about you and the audience. What concept can you come up with? Like, so if, if I play jazz odyssey, you know, for fun, it's about me. And if you like it, great. Awesome. And you're there and I'm not going to play by myself. So you're there. That's cool. It's mostly me, somewhat you. So the idea of the concept that I don't want to give away in the films, but this film that you may love or you've never heard of, or maybe, you know, you may know it as one way and that you're going to have this new musical experience with this is like, it's both of us. You know what I mean? Like that's a place where I can feel like we can musician and audience kind of meet in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Like, you think about mm-hmm. it, like you're talking about if we picked a film that was super significant to you, let's say, let's, let's, let's soften it here, make it less heavy. Right? Let's just pretend that you, you were going to have all prog rock to Caddyshack, <laughs> right? Like with, with, with orchestral sections, right? And there's string players in the room. This is New Orleans. Like for 50 bucks, I can hire one of the best string players you've ever heard come play all night long. It's incredible. It's insane. You know, so this is a town where you can have a vision and execute it because it's all fucking here. I can I can hire a guy from the orchestra who can fully play. And then I can go right down to 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 uh, the French Quarter and there will be some crusty kid on a banjo who's ripping. You know what I mean? They'll play for the same money and join the band. And, you know, for a total of three or $400, I got an orchestra yeah. like, that I'm leading along. It's, you know what I mean? I'm conducting to a film. So what I mean is we know the lines in Caddyshack, like the back of our hand, right? So we're together and we're probably shouting those out when they come up. 
And if the film is linked to us and we remix the film in, in pieces, meaning I might repeat certain lines and you're, and you're like Rocky Horror Picture Show, you're talking about it out loud. Mm. Now we're together. So we're, we're like this, right? It's a whole different thing. I mean, I don't know what you call that. I don't know what that is, but it just seems like a place that we can all have a whole lot of fun. It's original. That's what you call it. <laughs> that's a, that's a really so, exciting so, idea. So the first one, and uh, uh, I'd love to invite you guys and you're not that far from me um, is going to happen in the barn, which is on my property. The very first one will be in the barn uh, invite only. We're going to film it. And I think it's completely illegal for us to film us altering the film, but I don't know how that works, but we'll worry about that later. Anyways, going to steer back on track. I do want to get this across. I will reach out to everybody again. I hope I can come to you guys when we get closer. Of course. I, I am waiting for something significant in my personal life to, to close, to transpire, to be done, to transition. When that transition happens, I'll be, I will be much more free uh, time-wise. And when that happens, I'm going to want, that's when I'm looking to get on the road. So I don't have a date, but I was just going to reach out to the Crow community and just start calling some people and call on the phone and maybe surprise them. Maybe not. Maybe they want to see me. Maybe they don't. And then just sort of start trekking a little itinerary around with the eventual objective of getting to Detroit to work on the Eddie project at the same time, staying loose enough to be awake for whatever happens. Well, you mentioned before we came on, there's also some more crows related projects you have in the works. Yes. Thank you for reminding me because I forgot. Again, a number of issues have put me behind what my original schedule was. And because there were hiccups and bumps and, and problems on execution on the back end, the administrative part of the last book project, I found myself very uninspired to take the next step. But part of coming on, acknowledging some things, trying to formally acknowledge that it was bumpy on the back end, uh, I feel like that helps clear the way to get my head screwed back on because... Uh, it's time to go ahead and move into the next Crow book. Uh, we've discussed this before. You know, I laid it out originally as like four of the smaller volumes and then maybe onto a larger volume. Um, I haven't completely dug through everything and archived everything. But here's what I do know. Again, I don't want to be told what to do with the book. I would rather get feedback as I go through these projects. I got a lot of great feedback about the last one. All of that is in my notes and ready to be you know, infused into moving forward. That's fan-driven information, not publisher information. So I like the idea that the format as we roll out here is reasonable and tangible and affordable. You know, it's something that I want everybody to be able to get something for, take it away, feel like they got their, their, their value for their money. You know what I mean? It's important to me. And Again, when you combine those two things, it makes the project also stay. It's it's practical too because it's a manageable project. Right? One thing at a time. I have so much footage and so much content. Um, spending the next year editing it all down to one book that's going to cost eighty dollars or whatever. I don't know. This doesn't. It's not even fun. That's the thing. It's not. There's nothing exciting about it. It's like takes too long. You know, too involved. Too many ideas. Too many people just these grouped concepts can come out and they can shape something over time. If I had done it any different way, we would have never had fans talking about Eddie. That happened at the last minute when it was like, I was writing stuff and I was like, I don't, I, I don't like what I'm writing, you know? And I don't feel like 
I'm doing a great job of fleshing out Eddie. So I'm going to follow essentially the same format. And one of the things about going on the tour is I was going to work the book. I I would get the editing up into kind of a, say, 50%. And then I wanted to go on the road and see people and show it to them and start getting some feedback and maybe get this one to, I'm expecting it to be larger than the last one, more content. Is it going to be about Eddie? No, 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 it's just about the band. Okay. Eddie will be in it, but I see it more as a pro volume. You know what I mean? I I thought about, uh, and this is kind of where I want people's feedback. Like I can do it scrapbook style. I can also do it like sectional on individual, you know, like I'd like to, you know, be able to spend some time on Jeff Cease. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say what you want, but Jeff Cease is part of, you know, the biggest selling record. Oh, yeah. And I mean, everybody's got their favorite parts. So I'm not begrudging anybody that. But if you want to go off pure stats, you know, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, like, there, that's an argument that could be made. I'm not making that argument. So my point is, Jeff Cease and Chris's relationship early on was significant. Be nice to try to get a little bit of that in. And I also like the idea of the projects being this self-published in a smaller volume. You know, maybe I can, maybe Jeff would be up for being, I could reach out to Jeff because it's, it's, it's me. I'm talking to him. You know, we just kind of talk about it. He can look at it and make sure he's cool with what goes in it. I'm not trying to sensationalize anything. I'm not trying to, I don't have to serve any, it's not a monetary God, you know what I mean? There's no, it's not a, we're not making money on these books. So we don't, we can just ignore that shit. Right. It's like, Hey Jeff, this is how I see it. This is how you see it. Do you feel like, and by the way, whatever thing you see, this comes from my journalism experience. But if my perception is one thing and yours is another, what makes it interesting is to put them both up. Right. That's how life really works. You know what I mean? I've got my point of view. Chris has his point of view. Okay. Well, we both know they're not, neither one of them is exactly right. You know what I'm saying? It's just, so being able to see them next to each other and stuff is exciting. So just being able to get reactions, some of our conversations really drove the last one. I'm not here to make a book by committee. I'm putting it together. But why wouldn't you get some people's input Not and help shape out a better book? It'll be better than what I could do on my own. And it's just fun. How nice is it to roll up to someone who's a Black Crows fan and say, hey, man, check this out. This is what I'm thinking the book will be like. But while you're here, let me show you some photos no one's ever fucking seen. And here's a couple no one's ever going to fucking see. Because it is not appropriate. But how <laughs> cool would that be to see it? It would be. You know I, what I, mean? I just think it would be cool in the in the comfort of someone's home. I mean, from a fan perspective, that would be a fantastic thing. It's a, you know, you're interactively participating in the creation of this book about your favorite band, you know? Yeah, I think it'd be great. And it's something that can happen in a small way to begin. And I don't know, maybe it'll be super cool and more people will want to do it with me and I'll want to do it with you. Again, like I said, there's no, when there's no money being, when there's no money changing hands, look how beautiful things are. Right. I know so many people had reached out to us when, you know, it came out and we're just genuinely moved by it. I sent a copy of it to uh, Lala Slotman this week and uh, she got it and texted me. She was crying reading it. Um, oh my God, that's she. I didn't understand. She messaged me something. Like I said, I've had problems. Also, again, I had so many shipping, so many books got lost. It wasn't me, they got lost. And then I, mm-hmm. we couldn't find them. 
So I got a message from her and it was like, I got my book and it freaked me out. Cause I'm like, Jesus Christ, how long ago did I send that? And where did it get, you know, it just freaked me out. Cause I really have had some significant admin problems. And by the way, for anyone listening who doesn't know, I own my own backline production company for 30 years. I've built lots of commercial real estate. It's not like I don't know how to operate a business, but you wouldn't know it based on how some of the back end of this ended up. So she was on another podcast. I've, I've ever since she came on the podcast, she and I've become friends. We text each other or whatever. And on that podcast, she had mentioned that she didn't have a copy of your book. So I went in here to my closet and, and found one and uh, sent it to her this week. Uh, I think she was really moved by it. You know, she's, she said she opened it up and she was crying reading it. Oh, that's so sweet. She's uh, my memories of her are fond and she seems like a good mom and a good, super cool, positive person. She's always saying nice crow stuff online when I see her and she doesn't look an ounce different. When I met her, she's aging backwards, which <laughs> freaks me out because I look like her dad now. And she's, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but well, good for her. And you know what? I appreciate you doing that. It's very kind of you. We like to spread the love, man. <laughs> we like to spread the love. It's just unfortunate that, uh, that I loved Eddie the way at the level that I did and that I feel he loved me too, but that my departure from the band and possibly, I don't exactly know my sobriety or the difficulties of me in the band. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take my, I'm happy to take responsibility for my half. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I know all of what that is, but either way, the idea that Eddie and I never spoke again after I left the band is a shame. And it's a testament to, I think, a number of things. You know, I hurt Eddie's feelings and Eddie had hurt mine by the way he was behaving at the time. And it was very unpopular when I left the band to discuss me in any way or try to reach out and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Steve's made that clear. And that's just the culture of where it was at the time. And being able to work on Eddie's book was certainly a positive thing for me, uh, a cathartic thing. And the idea that Lala, someone like Lala, felt the way she felt about it and brought back those moments for her is really heartwarming. Because, you know, to lose Eddie was to lose a lot. And I didn't really realize what I'd lost so much. So, you know, you get, you know, it's until I went through the pictures because you have to get on with your life. You know, I was focused on okay, well, I don't want my life to be a fluke. How am I going to become successful on my own without the super talented people I'm in a band with? Right. That's a daunting task. I didn't have time to think about it, Eddie. I had to keep my head clear. I had to stay fucking sober to figure out how I was going to show back up in a big way, right? Mm-hmm. But being the one who's still here, there's a lot of loss. The book doesn't make up for it, but it certainly does leave me with positive feelings in my head. When Eddie's name comes up, I feel warm, not cold. And that's nice. And uh, hopefully, um, knock on wood, no more of us have to pass away before I can get that warm feeling with other members of the band. I think that would be nice. Yeah, for sure. It would. I think that'd be good for all involved. So Um, I'm going to recap. Number one. Thanks for making the Eddie Project a wild success. A lot, a lot more people bought books and stuff than I would have thought, to be honest with you. Secret, I do have a few more, but those are going to get paired with the new book when they come out as a special. So, uh, gotta make it fun. Uh, <laughs> again, everyone who experienced any delays in receiving their packages and stuff, please take my apology and um, 
I'm going to uh, knock this one out of the park. And uh, if you had any problems this next go around, text me and I'm going to be sending special drawings and extra things. I'm going to go on tour. I have no idea what that means, but I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to your house. And I'm going to have on my computer, I'm going to have a version of the book. And we'll look at it together. We can talk about it and I'll show you some cool stuff. If you are interested in that, maybe, I don't know, maybe they could reach out to me on Instagram or maybe you guys or something, or maybe we could hub this. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about it off offline, but maybe we hub it out of the podcast. Maybe, maybe like that's a good place for everyone to connect. And then if you guys want, I could give you a little, um, we can, we can chime into the podcast from the trip, something where we can connect everybody. And then um, I think the other thing is when I come to your house to visit you, when we look at pictures, I'm going to, I want to do a portrait. I want to draw everybody that I see. That's really cool. Yeah. All those, those will be funny. Um, (laughs) And uh, the next pro book is on the way right now. It's a general book. It's going to be probably maybe two, three times the, 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 I kind of like the Eddie format, but it'll probably be about three times as two or three times as thick. And I'll write a little there get some more, maybe some more fans be involved. I like to write a little bit more on this one, not a ton, but a little bit more from my perspective. And um, <clears throat> because we've done the process, it's going to go much faster. There's going to two things will change. I don't think it'll take me that long because I did a lot of this work when I was doing the Ed book. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pre-sale until we have the copies stateside in hand. Gotcha. The only yeah. way to make it affordable is to send it to J- to China for printing. If, if, we, if we domestically print it, it'll cost you too much money. It's just not so because of the way the world works, I think things have gotten better, but I don't know. So we'll just make sure that they're stateside before we ship them out. I think that'll solve the biggest part of the problem. And uh, there you have it. Well, I mean, anything that and I, I'm sure I speak for David in saying this as well, but anything we can do in any facet of those projects to assist, you know, we're always here. Of course, you guys are the best. I, I can't uh, thank you guys enough. It's it's you guys do something that's remarkable for me that you guys have provided a real safe place for me to be able to approach some of the topics and fans in ways that I wouldn't have before or wouldn't have necessarily felt comfortable. And that's been great. It's uh, you guys have really empowered me to start pulling and taking ownership of, of of a part of my life that, um, you know, he'd been kind of put on a shelf. So it's nice to know that it's not just a memory that that, that's still alive out there. There's people still breathing that in. That air is being circulated uh, instead of just sort of a, you know, a trivia question, which is really cool. Like, again, gratitude's not even the right word. It's just, I know I sound corny, but like it's, it's a feeling of being drunk on like fucking, how sick is that? Like, I remember being like 15 years old and trying to, and playing in my room and not going on Saturday nights and not seeing, you know, not dating girls because I want to learn how to play. And section eight housing, just me and my mom. And if I didn't fucking figure out how to play and find my way out of that life, I was going to get stuck. Right. Man, I went on the fucking merry-go-round. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Johnny, you know, you're always welcome on here. Anytime you're one of our favorite people that we've met. And, uh, as you know, we always, you have to, you have to give us a song to play out. It can be by anybody that you want that have to be a crows or a train or Skinner song, anything. Uh, okay. Let's go with um, Tom Waits. Let's take anything off of uh, Swordfish Trombone. Nice. Okay. 
Anything okay. off that record. Anything you want off that record. Grab it. We'll surprise right. you. Yeah, Ian will. Uh, Ian will chop that one out and, and yeah, put you it up. handle that one, Ian. And listen, <laughs> next time you're in New Orleans, it's going to be a very different visit. All right, okay. Because I'm going to show you guys some some seriously weird shit. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Johnny. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Stay tall. Yeah.